Are you guys going to read the first line together? <laughs> oh, we can. I mean, Do you want to read it? We can. I, I, I Personally, I feel like, you know, trying to, <laughs> to talk in unison is always a recipe for disaster. But... Yeah, I was I was planning on. You don't that. have to. Um... Oh, uh... <laughs> She's heartbroken. Hello and welcome to Murder Husbands, an in-depth episode-by-episode discussion of Brian Fuller's Hannibal, based on characters from the novels by Thomas Harris. We are Popsicle, a group of like-minded creators who enjoy getting together to have big conversations for big stories. I'm Justin Penniston. I'm a writer of things and a talker of more things. And as always, I am joined by my deep-thinking Popsicle co-host crew. First, we have the artist of independent comic Hex 11, not to mention a lover of pasty Norse gods of mischief, Lisa K. Weber. <laughs> These things are all very true. Hello. <laughs> Speaking of Hex 11, we also have the writer of that fantasy masterpiece, not to mention the astrologer laureate to the stars, Kelly Sue Milano. Et moi? <laughs> Next. We have the author of A Geek's Guide to Cross-Stitch and a lover of bronzed North Gods of Thunder, Claire Thorne. I like them pasty too, but I, yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. Finally, right. we come to writer, actor, comedian, unparalleled TikTok dancer, our producer, and my mortal enemy, Philip <laughs> Kelly. <laughs> I'm, I'm most proud of one of those things. You decide which. <laughs> Ooh. Now, with just a little further ado, we will discuss potage. But first, Lisa and Philip will take us to a quick recap of the episode, episode three of Hannibal. Take it away. Abigail awakens from her coma. <laughs> I did it the way you wrote it. Will Graham is almost certain that Jacob Hobbs was not the killer of the girl in the field. He believes that the killer is not only a copycat, but also the person on the other end of Hobbs' tip-off call. Simultaneously, Jack Crawford is almost certain that Abigail was somehow complicit in her father's killing spree, despite objections from literally everyone. Freddie Lowndes is, of course, stirring shit up and meets with Nicholas Boyle, the very emo-presenting brother of the impaled girl from the field. She spills the tea and reveals to him that Abigail is out of the hospital. Hannibal and Will take Abigail to her home where she is visited by her neighbor, Marissa, both of whom are then visited by Nicholas Boyle. He spouts some crazy shit before Marissa chucks a rock at him. The following day, Abigail is taken to the freaky murder cabin where Marissa is found dead. Big surprise, impaled on a deer's head. Chaos continues back at her house when Abigail finds the hair of one of the murdered girls inside a throw pillow. Immediately afterwards, she is confronted yet again by Nicholas Boyle and kills him in self-defense. Hannibal finds the scene and the two strike a murderous deal. He helps to cover up her murder and she hides that she knows he was the mystery caller the day her father was killed. This episode struck me as a bit of a divergence from the other two, but we'll get into that. Um, I will say that I've been taking notes on every episode and I took a shit ton of notes on this episode. <laughs> I love it. Um, but uh, let's talk about characters because that's where we go first. Mm -hmm. I find that motives and manipulations abound in this episode. But two characters are particularly centered in Potage in a way that they haven't been before. 
Abigail Hobbs, who just awakened from her coma, and Alana Bloom. So let's dig into them a wee bit. Mm -hmm. uh, this is our first time with any real spent time spent with Ab Abigail Hobbs, and we're quickly given reason to believe that Jack is very likely right about her. As for Alana, the conflicts between her agenda and Jack seem really to take flight here. So please, folks, discuss. And Kelly Sue, I'd like to start with you because, cool. you know, you did such a great job writing that summary. <laughs> <laughs> because Abigail awakened from her coma. <laughs> Um, if you're gonna awake from a coma, it should be announced like should that, be, like with an exclamation. I, mean, I wish we we, we need to dub in some trumpets there. Could we anything should... be more celebratory? No, I don't yeah. think so. The, the medical <laughs> devices that you're hooked up to should just start doing that. She's woken totally. up from her coma. Yeah, yeah, they could start playing like Careless Whisper, the sax <laughs> in the back when you wake up from your coma. I think that that would be great. Um, um, Kelly Sue, by the way, is the best at musical pairings for this show. Yes. <laughs> no. To go with the food pairings, we have a musical pairing. Um, Excellent. So getting back to the characters of Abigail and Alana. Um, this is, yeah, I mean, I kind of side with Jack a little bit. I, I kind of sided with Jack when I first saw this episode. I was like, do y'all really think that this one had not one thing to do with any of this? And she's still over here being like oddly calm about everything that's just gone down. I mean, granted, she did just wake up from a coma. Um, and I do, I found Alana's um, just divergence from kind of, I guess not divergence, but being very, she's very contrarian to pretty much like everything that everyone says. Like Will's point of view, she's like, well, you know, to play devil's advocate is very much her energy. And I feel that way um, with Jack as well. And I just want to say that I appreciate the way that she's written to be disagreeing in these ways with these men, who one of whom is her superior. Um, and I just love that she's there to be like, no, I don't think so. I think it should go like this. <laughs> mm -hmm. Even though I don't always agree with her, I'm always like, yeah, okay. Um, and it just, what it tells me about her is that she's got, she's got an agenda. We don't know what it is. I mean, I know what it is because I've seen the show, but like, we don't know what it is now, but that just makes her even more dynamic of a character to me. Yeah, I think, I think with uh, you know, Hannibal's playing that game where none of the other characters know what's going on, even though we as the audience know he's bad, mm -hmm. but the audience ne needs a character then to follow where we don't know their intentions. Mm -hmm. And it's really, really interesting to me that it's Abigail. The first time when she wakes up from that coma, she's lit like Hannibal is in his office. Uh, it's very okay. dark, there's shadows in all the corners. Um, you know, this, it, she's, all, she's all alone, which maybe we do need some music to let people know when somebody <laughs> wakes up from a coma because holy shit, that was terrible. Careless Whisper is playing. Yeah, right. Somebody's awoken from um, a coma. <laughs> I, I'm really appreciating her character. I really, Nobody else was in the room when she discovered the hair in the pillow. Mm -hmm. That's the only mm -hmm. thing that makes me think that she may not know as much about what's going on. As... And she was definitely horrified. And she was terribly horrified by it. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, which means that I, I, I'm seeing her sort of disassociation as just that traumatic dis disassociation at this yeah. point. Um, even though she was lit the same way Hannibal was. And even though she's kind of playing in a similar way to the situations that Hannibal is. It's a really mm -hmm. interesting parallel in performance 
and editing. Um, as we talked about Hannibal's, the, it was editing last episode. Um, this was the, like, Lowndes was annoying the first time we saw her in episode two. Every time she's on screen, my I, my stomach hurts. I'm like, oh, you, you. I just get, I, I'm like, I'm disgusted by her. Like, and that's such a great reaction to have. Like, I haven't felt that way since the, the kid king in Game of Thrones, Joffrey. But just every time you see wow. him, you're, like, you're just like, oh, this kid. Ugh. Like, there's something just really wow. deeply upsetting about seeing her on screen. When when you go in, when you cut back to uh, uh, Abigail, and you know you're, you're going to go in there, and you think maybe uh, Will Graham is going to be there questioning her, and it's Lowndes. I was like, mm. oh, you little. Like, I just felt that, like, rise up in me just naturally. Um, really great character, great performance. A really interesting uh, characteristic that Jamie noticed while he was watching this show about the actress that plays Freddie Lowndes is that every time she delivers a line, her head is tilted like this, and then she'll tilt her head again like this. And then every, like anytime she's talking to someone, her head is tilted in some kind of a way. And he's like, I don't know if that was a choice, but it makes me be like, put your head straight. <laughs> <laughs> Which is totally the energy that you feel watching her. I love that mm -hmm. point, Phil. Well, if nothing else, it's, that's what a dog does when it's being, you know, like listening adorably. Mm -hmm. And I, I absolutely think that it's not just, it's not just an actorly choice. Is that mm -hmm. a word? from the mm -hmm. actress anyway sure, sure. um but it it's also her specific character's choice it is her face mm -hmm. that she puts on when she is wanting people to divulge things to her when she's wanting to i always think of um i don't think of joffrey her hair is better than joffrey number one <laughs> but i i think of what's her name uh from harry potter from um goblet of fire the the journalist rita skeeter, who, rita skeeter yeah because she's <laughs> she's actively like rewriting people's um stories and and just yeah it there's a yeah a really well put together despicableness and they both have great hair so it's, i don't know how freddie lounge does her hair and gets everything that she gets accomplished all at the same time it's it's, it's interesting that you you kind of associate that hell head tilt with a with a dog and making herself more me seem more adorable and because like i didn't notice that until kelly sue pointed it out but i immediately think it's because she's never straight up do you know what I mean? Like I took it, oh. I took it in a totally different, I, I had a completely different thought about it. She's cause she's never straight up and it's a subconscious way to tell the audience that, you know? Um, but you're probably right. It's probably both, you know? So. Yeah. Yeah. There's a certain attitude about that stance, you know, um, that, yeah, I think encompasses both of what y'all are saying. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. She's the worst. <laughs> but we love her anyway. Yeah. Um, I'll say about Abigail Hobbs, um, the actress who plays her Casey role yeah. um, is like the spitting image of my stepsister. It's oh. eerie how much they look alike. And um, so I have this like innate soft spot for her because of that. <laughs> and um I, as much as I want to believe her innocence, I, no. 
<laughs> just because like especially when like we're talking about the kind of like opening dream she's having mm -hmm. or like memory sure. she's visiting um hunting with her father and you know as we've talked about before this show is very sensual and it really plays up all like this sequence really plays up the sensuality as she's like running her fingers through the hair and then it becomes like a head of hair and this dead girl um that she's holding and it's like i don't know from like the first watch i was like well like you were saying phil about the kind of like trauma traumatic disassociation it's like she's intentionally i mean her subconscious in order to survive is placing a deer there where mm. there was a girl sure that's how that i sense. saw it um and um yeah i so i mean yeah, I, I, I enjoy the character of Abigail Hobbs a lot. And like I said, I enjoy the actress because she looks so much like Skylar. <laughs> um, and as far as Alana hey, Bloom, <laughs> hi. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, and as far as Alana Bloom, I, I agree with what has been said already about her too, that, that like what you were saying, Kelly Sue, about it's, it's kind of nice to see someone come in with a non-murder agenda. Yes. <laughs> Where it's like, I believe her when she's like, I really want what's best for Abigail. Right. And we start to see her kind of like wanting what's best for Abigail and also what's wanting what's best for Will. Right. And advocating for these mm -hmm. things. And it's, it's nice to see someone who is not, a psychopath advocate for will <laughs> agreed i i find myself thinking that alana represents the way a reasonable person would feel in these scenarios yeah. and you know the problem is it's not a reasonable world the world of hannibal is not a reasonable one which is why she so often seems wrong which is why you're like why are you saying that clearly you're in psychoville you know and but it's you know <laughs> I uh, I also was very struck by the sensuality of uh, Abigail Hobbs, particularly as she's stroking, you know, the deer, and then it turns into that head, and you know, and it's a girl, and you know, it immediately made Abigail unreliable to me. You know, I didn't know if she was if this was a a fever dream born out of her guilt for having done it or for her guilt for being the daughter of a serial killer like either way you know so she could be innocent she could be guilty neither one of them is a a foregone conclusion to me at this point you know and well, and, and again i would say that both of those things can be true at the same time she sure. we don't it depending on the degrees and subtleties of what the actual reality is as well so it's, I love that this show is always all of the things, um, all of the possibilities. And she has that dream while still in a coma, having no idea potentially what really happened. So it's also Although she also has it again later. Yes, we return does. to that shot later mm -hmm. in, the, in yeah. the episode. But I think this is a good segue because we're talking about dreams and that kind of takes us to the visuals of the show. 
Um, obviously, this show's visual vocabulary is broad and vast and used. Um, although, in my opinion, this was the most divergent episode thus far, visually speaking, uh, at least insofar as we don't see Will Graham assume the persona of a killer, uh, except for a brief dream that he has into J Garrett Jacob Hobbs' attempt to kill Hannah, uh, Abigail, where he takes on the role of Hobbs. Um, and we don't have an original murderous tableau in this. Um, we're treated instead to a rehash of sorts uh, when Abigail's friend Marissa is killed by Hannibal and mounted once again on antlers, um, seemingly as a way of deflecting suspicion from himself onto Nicholas and onto Nicholas Boyle. Uh, did you find yourselves missing, you know, this is my design? Is the show lessened by not flexing its design muscles all over the place? <laughs> you know? It certainly is lessened. <laughs> <laughs> JK. I mean, I go on Instagram just to see people flex all over the place. So that's generally what Gross. Um, <laughs> the I, I didn't miss it, honestly, because there was so much we had to dig into a couple other characters here. Like we already know Will. We, we get what he's doing. Um, but there's one specific image that really stuck with me in this episode that had to do with Will. Mm. He wakes up from a nightmare. He's again sweaty. You know, it's like 7 a.m. It's morning. It's time to wake up. And he, he just like, he gets up, he goes over to the window, he throws open the shades and even the sun is oppressive. Like literally there's no escape. Daytime, nighttime, everything this character is going through is equally oppressive. And I thought that was a really, uh, really great visual to kind of, you know, allow us as an audience to comprehend just how awful his headspace is. Like everything, <laughs> literally. The sun is too much. <laughs> Living is too much. Life is too much. Like it's uh, it's crazy. Claire, what do you think? How are you feeling about the visuals in this episode? Um, it is like you said, it's divergent, and I again, without wanting to be spoilery, um, appreciate that the show leaves its procedural uh, structure when it needs to, um, and. The arc story, which is, you know, going to stay focused in on Abigail and, and this wondering what, what is her deal. Um, I, I appreciate that they just kind of take a pause and a deep meditative breath and let us really dive into that exploration and not have the sense like a lot of procedural types of shows do ab about trying to keep the audience interest, you know, kicking along um, and having that blind, you know, blindly following their formula as it were. Um, I really, really do appreciate that. And Abigail as a character for me is just, she is, you know, like Lisa was saying, she has this personal connection because she looks like someone she knows. Well, she's, mm. she is that physical type that is the girl next door. She feels like, like I can feel myself in her skin very easily because she, she does have that innocence. That's not innocence in a way it, it's very, 
and the show is so deliberate about the visuals. And I think they're very deliberate about the characters that they've chosen to play, um, you know, the actors that they've chosen to play each of these characters as yeah. well. Um, it just, it does really, really work. Um, mm -hmm. I feel like we could just talk about every single aspect of like how they did a character's hair and what they're wearing and all of those things we could we could delve into that minutia for the rest of time and not get to the end of all of the things that they they orchestrated to you know take us down this path which is so manipulative in such a great way and it mirrors exactly what Hannibal is doing to Will what the show is mm -hmm. doing to the audience is what Hannibal is doing to Will in a way and yeah it's I I don't want to say that I love that but I love that I, <laughs> I love this episode for similarly Claire for the the groundwork that they're laying for Hannibal and Abigail um, and there was one visual that I loved. It's one of, it's one of my favorite moments, like snapshots from the show for whatever reason. But when they go to, um, oh my God, am I even in the right episode? I have to be. Yeah. Okay. They go to her home <laughs> and you see cannibals spray painted on the garage. And then they cut to Abigail seeing it and being horrified, but Hannibal is just in the background. And it doesn't say cannibal, it says cannibals, two, more than one. Yeah. And it's this amazing snapshot <laughs> of her being horrified and Hannibal is just sort of like, <laughs> he takes everything in such um, stride, even when yeah. like, you can see his expression the moment he decides to kill Marissa. Yeah. Um, after she when calls she calls her, her mom a bitch. Oh my god! Um, and you see so this really quick flash across his face, like, "Oh, I'm gonna kill her." Yep. Rude. Um, <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. um, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. Um, also, speaking of costumes, I do love Hannibal's Woody look. Oh yes. He's got like his like little. He's wearing his whole suit uh, thing, but it's like a much more like, you know, woodsy type yes. of plaid. And he's got, and he's got the collar popped. He's and got he's got collar, collar. He's got, you know, the sweater collar popped underneath it. Um, he's wearing a functional fleece. As a functional would, fleece under the, the blazer and over the shirt and tie. Obviously. It's impeccable as usual. I <laughs> am. <laughs> um, I was really struck. I think Kelly Sue might have mentioned this last week. Um, I was really struck by the editing choices and the, the camera cuts and how they framed Hannibal. Um, and that was the real strong use of visual language uh, for me. Um, I really loved when, when Hannibal walks into Will's classroom in the beginning, Ooh. you know, and he's talking about yes. he's talking about Garrett Jacob Hobbs and he's talking about the copycat mm -hmm. and he starts really talking about the copycat talking about he's an intelligent psychopath you know and really describing his work and getting and hitting everything right on the head mm -hmm. and to me and I didn't want to mention this last week but to me this felt like the moment when Hannibal starts falling you know for Will like it's more than just the interest of a scientist at this point like he smiles in this like you know, this sort of admiration. And you know, like, I, I felt like we, we could see Hannibal 
really like connecting to Will now and be like, oh, and his interest in Will deepens at that point. At, well, at least that, that's like, what it conveyed to me. Totally and, same. And it's like kind of like what we were talking about in the last episode with Stamets and, you know, creating these connections that it's like, I, in that moment, I also read Hannibal being like, he understands me. Yeah. Yeah. He was yeah. pity. But then they do the same sort of, you know, like cutting and directing choices when they get to the house, to, to Abigail's house. And someone, I think Will asks her, did you recognize the voice on the other end of the phone? And like they cut between Abigail and Hannibal and her response is very deliberate. Her response is, I'd never heard it before. Mm. Not no, I don't recognize it, but I'd never heard it before. You know. I just want to say in general, I love the way this show is written. No one ever answers a question directly. Like <laughs> almost uh, never. Brilliant. And yeah, it's, it's just mm, awesome. Spot on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, because the same thing happens. There's a similar exchange with Will and Abigail when she asks how he felt about killing, you know, how it felt about killing her dad. And he doesn't say, I felt this way or that way. He just says, it's the ugliest thing in the world. You know, he doesn't, uh, you know, he doesn't talk about how he actually feels about it. Um, well, except for that one line of poetry, what was that that I sent you? Oh I took God. a screenshot. We talk often about our favorite lines of Will's where when he says them and I'm watching the show, I'm literally like, dude, what? Right. And <laughs> Abigail says, asks him about her father and he says, I'm talking to his shadow suspended on dust. Oh, well, what? you just, I am going to nerd explain to you for just a moment. Oh, that is actually a snippet of dialogue taken from the book Red Dragon. Mm. When oh. Will is talking to his stepson about the Minnesota, Minnesota Shrike killings. Mm. It's actually, and they do that a lot in this show. They take snippets of dialogue from things that Thomas Harris wrote. And yeah. repurpose them, and that's that's, that, a that's good an one. example of that. That's a good and one. if I that's was reading a the book, one, I would be like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Um, my last visual thing is this is also the first time we see Hannibal commit an actual act of violence. Yes. Mm -hmm. When he smashes uh, Alana's head into the wall, you know, and he doesn't kill anybody, but it's just it's for the first time we are given a real like a sousson of <laughs> what Hannibal is capable of in terms of physical violence. Mm. Yeah, whipping up my French cooking terminology, bitches. Mm. Yeah. And, and, right. and Mickelson's use of physicality in that moment is beautiful. Like he's <sighs> he's swift, he's precise. Yeah. It's not it's not clumsy. Um <sighs> and, and he's on the move immediately. Like Hannibal uh, is never clumsy. Well no, no. I, but just clumsy, to, yeah. just in the way the actor performs creature. that moment yeah. is a was pretty yes. great. So much well, I wish that I was never clumsy, but I'm going to clumsily say this is a great time to go to break. And uh, when we come back, we will talk about, you know, dead bodies and why we have them. Uh, but first, a few words from people who have things to say to you. Oh, we can. Do you want to read it? We can. This episode really digs into why the characters do the things they do. Uh, 
motivations on the parts of Garrett Jacob Hobbs and Abigail Hobbs and Hannibal himself are really explored in this episode. Uh, Garrett Jacob Hobbs's murders are an expression of love and honor, while Hannibal's murders spring from a variety of motivations, both pragmatic, pragmatic and pathological. Abigail, on the other hand, it's not completely clear why she does what she does, and in some cases, if she has even done it at all. So let's talk about why our people are doing the things they do. Um, Philip, as the noob of the group, were you picking up on motivations? What 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 spoke to you here in this regard? Um, well, I do think I mean it's uh, the hashtag kind of a little bit ruined uh, Hannibal's motivation. Uh, you know, go after the the rude. Um, but you see that from the very first episode when the guy sets the little piece of Kleenex on the on the table. Absolutely. And he's like, oh, that guy right there, that guy. <laughs> if he wasn't paying me, I might do it. Um, uh, maybe he does. I don't know. But uh, yeah, like uh, part of what I think Hannibal is doing is also trying to open up Will in ways that he hasn't been challenged before. I, I feel him purposefully challenging Will. Um, and you see that when uh, Will is, he doesn't know, like, uh, you know, what's, um, uh, 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 Lawrence Fishburne's character's name, please. Jack Crawford. Jack Crawford. Crawford is like, I thought you said uh, he's just going to do it once and was like, I was maybe wrong. Um, and, you know, you have the killer standing there right next to him, kind of knowing exactly what string he's going to pull next uh, to kind of fuck with Will. But he's purposefully testing Will and putting him into a place where he hasn't been before. Uh, would these people have been killed if that wasn't the case? I don't know. Um, he certainly picking people with a like he could have killed anybody he could have killed he could have been the one to kill Nicholas Boyle but he didn't you know because Nicholas Boyle certainly was also very rude um so there's a little more going on than just being you know rude uh and that's what I'm that's what I'm liking so far about how they're treating this you know giving kind of Hannibal that close quarters manipulation of will as we go along here um with who he kills it's one of the more kind of like fun things. I mean, fun. Playful, Play, playful things. <laughs> as you as you watch um, more and more, it's like when Hannibal's motives start to like his specific motives start to become clearer. It's like it's not like they dump it all on you. Mm -hmm. It's like revealed through all of these little kind of like moments and experiences where you're like, oh, that's what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> that's fucking crazy um but at this point it's like still this big mystery it's like mm -hmm. it's still it's i remember again on the first watch just yeah they they present hannibal in this in this way where it's like you can't help but like him like I mean, our hero is Will, and he, as Kelly Sue was saying in the last episode, he's he shows Will compassion, and so you're kind of like, oh, he's an ally, but then he does all of these things that are like, wait, though, he's murdering people. <laughs> he's clearly not an ally, at least not in the way that we traditionally define one, um, and um so yeah, it is interesting to get the to kind of revisit that 
um, first time perspective <laughs> of like not really totally knowing why Hannibal does the things that he does. Um, and I mean, as far as Abigail Hobbs, I feel like she does what she does out of survival. Like she is a, that's, that's her motivation is to just survive. And so her manipulations and her um, actions are all geared towards that. I think I'm, <laughs> I think I'm most struck with this story about Abigail Hobbs um, in the, the depiction of this family that Hannibal and Will and Abigail, I think, are all wanting to create there. It goes back to the themes of connections. Um, and again, it's important to always understand that we don't understand what necessarily, what each person's motivations are. We don't understand the degree to which any of these characters are being reliable narrators about what they each individually want as well. But whether it's it's Hannibal um, putting on a front that he wants to have this family or it just suits his purposes or it really is what he emotionally wants. Um, he's, it's very clear that he is putting on the, the, the costume of like a family head. You, you can see him wanting to have Abigail be a father figure to Abigail, be a father figure to Will, to be a different kind of partner to Will, um, and create this family unit. And it, it, you know, even going back to the first episode at the end there and how I, one of the creepiest visuals, I think, and it's because you, you understand who Hannibal is from the first episode. Mm. It when he is going to the hospital with Abigail and like walking Michael out of the house with her and holding her hand, and so it's that visual of the, you know, that would be the the person that Abigail um, is closest to her family member. You know that that should be that person going to the hospital with her. It should be the 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 person that she is closest to, and to to have Hannibal acting in that role and acting like a kind of person who holds hands with people like do you do you ever see Hannibal like in your mind holding hands with people no that is not a correct visual um and so it's so off-putting but it it signals right off the bat for us in the first episode that he he's putting on this role of of family member um, and trying to, to craft it and it trying to settle in your mind how, how sincere that motivation is versus, or how much he even understands it emotionally himself. Like we, we understand when we meet the pharmacist that this is not a person who understands emotionally what he is doing to other people. He, he sees his actions in a very strict you know, literal way and does not understand regular quote unquote, normal human emotion. Um, like all pharmacists. 
like all pharmacists. We apologize to the pharmacists in our I audience. I have two family members that are pharmacists. And I don't yes, I don't. Philip care. ass pharmacists. Philip ass pharmacists. <laughs> oh my god. Um. Yeah. So it's. I just am in completely uh, engrossed in this uh, idea, in this part of the story. Um, and, and, and again, like I said before, for the episode to just slow down and just sit in the middle of that, that aspect of this, you know, family trying to come together. Um, I really appreciate that, that but the writers the do that for us. They go to the house and they're like first time in the house and Abigail wants to role play and she wants to do yeah she she points to alana and says you be my mom she points to will and says you be my dad mm -hmm. and then she points to hannibal and says and you be the man on the phone because she knows <laughs> oh. and, and um, well, that was a straight up threat too or at least that's yeah. how hannibal took it mm -hmm. uh -huh. and so it's like she i mean she is doing like again it's kind of a survival mode too you like you you create a tribe and she's wanting to do that in that moment so yeah I'm really struck by how meticulous Hannibal is. Like, I didn't notice until this viewing, and this is the third or fourth time I've seen this episode, you know, you know, Hannibal, before he decides to kill Marissa, he's already hidden the rock that Marissa threw to hit Nicholas Boyle because he's like, oh, that's biological material that I can use, mm -hmm. you know, and ultimately he does, you know, and I, I like, he, it seems like he's always on alert for the next thing to do to help his plan. And he's always prepared. Um, I mean, even to the point where he knows how to leave someone else's DNA on a crime scene instead of his own. Like it's really, really nutty. Um, speaking of DNA, that sounds like a good time to talk about corpses, bodies, <laughs> and how exquisite they perhaps can be. And I think maybe to lead us into this discussion, there's nobody better served than the astrologer lawyer laureate herself, Kelly Sue. Yes. Um, okay, so my segment of exquisite corpse is also divergent because there isn't really a massive crime scene that's being picked apart in this episode. The, the sort of headlining, um, the headlining piece is really Melissa, Melissa, Lord, Marissa Schur's body that they find in the cabin that they find because of blood that drips down onto Abigail's face, which I think is the beginning of this crime scene. The beginning of uncovering all of these layers they go into the nest where abigail's like she's having realizations but there was a part of me that's like are you really just realizing this for the first time like is this the moment where like your denial meets reality right where she's realizing like oh he was feeding them to us drip <laughs> i loved that hmm. and instantly we're already like okay so this is, we're, we're locked into this moment now. And then of course we go upstairs and we find her mounted on antlers. Um, 
And what was so interesting about this for me was calling back to the beginning of this episode when Will mentions how the copycat is never going to kill this way again. And now here we have another girl mounted on antlers. Yes, it's not field kabuki, but still very similar, but different just enough <laughs> that Hannibal is able to say, this was Nicol the work of Nicholas Boyle. You know, she's not as beautifully arranged on the antlers. It's happening right inside of this cabin, which is way too on the nose for the actual copycat. Um, and I also found it interesting that she was not arranged completely naked, like the other girl in the field. I mean, granted, she's only wearing underwear, but, um, and, you know, because she's facing forward, and I'm sure on television, they're not going to be like, here's full frontal nudity. But at the same time, they also chose to do that. NBC. <laughs> exactly. She's <laughs> like, let's you know, not the... show a vagina, but we can definitely show like human mushrooms and people mounted up. <laughs> right. Antlers, well, right? Any, Im any image of Christ we see on the cross, and she's mm -hmm. in a cross, he's always got the towel around his um you know, exactly. as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's definitely a visual thing there. But I, in order for me, I, I had a hard time with the scene. I had to go back and look at the very first scene in which they come up here. It's lit very differently because mm -hmm. they know mm -hmm. what's going on. They already know who the killer is. Daylight is just spilling in. Mm -hmm. And in this scene, again, we are, we're seeing it through the lighting of Hannibal's library. The, mm -hmm. the shadows coming down, shadows in the corners. Um, you know, he this we're very much again in that sort of mental scape of Hannibal's and uh, I don't think it's accidental that the only two people who have been in Hannibal's mental scape on that top on that upper deck of his library which is beautiful as Will and Abigail those are the only two characters that have been wandering around in his brain kind of on the second floor um, so I think that I think returning to that sort of lighting that we see in Hannibal's library is really well used um, and and again this is the second time also dealing with a Hannibal Lecter killer kill that Will doesn't use his superpowers mm -hmm. and either it's because he doesn't want to or part of him maybe already knows and he doesn't want to um and that's what my head is playing with right now is how much does he realize that he's just because somebody maybe understands him mm. he doesn't want to leave that alone he doesn't want to he doesn't want to dig in too deeply anyway that's kind of where my head's at with, with all of this right now. A, you're going to make me look at lighting in a way that I have not been looking at the lighting in this show, Phil. That's 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 interesting, good stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, B, God, I'm just going to spoil things for you so bad. <laughs> it's hard. Out there, things I want to say, like... Uh -huh. mm. I'm just excited for when we all get there. Yes, me too. Yes. And like, we can, I, we can do this, guys. Yeah. <laughs> We've done, we've done that so many times now in these discussions, you yeah. know, whether it was Sandman or The Expanse or this, and it's, it's interesting to me because it makes me, when I'm in the position of having seen something and I'm trying to not spoil things, it really does put me in the position of having to really analyze things in my head before mm -hmm. I say them, which is kind of just me admitting that sometimes I need to think more before I speak. Um, good advice for us all. Yeah, it is. It is. But I, I am thinking of it more in just in terms of like, I'm always looking for an opportunity to figure out a way to like see something differently, even when it's the third or fourth or fifth time that I've seen it. I'm a firm believer. And I've talked about it before that like rewatching things 
the things that are worthy of, of, of rewatching, they always give you something new over and over and over again. And doing this exercise where we're, you know, having to really think in my head about, okay, like, what is the story doing? How are they setting up? What's going to be coming down the road? How can I even talk about that right now in a way that doesn't ruin things for the people who haven't seen it? It it's really beneficial um, mm -hmm. to be able well, to re-examine the story that way. That it totally points to what exactly what you're sharing here, Claire, points to the phenomenal job that this show does with foreshadowing mm. without giving shit away. Because they contextualize like, all the foreshadowing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's not just out of the blue. It's really well contextualized. It's like a oh. masterclass. Yeah. yeah. Well, and sometimes people say complete, what sounds like a completely innocuous thing. And especially mm -hmm. in that first episode, the first lines of dialogue between Hannibal and Will, and some of them are not that subtle at all. Yeah. Um, you know, where uh, uh, I think Will says, I don't find you that interesting mm -hmm. to Hannibal, like when they're first having, having their little antagonistic conversation about oh, will right. we do therapy or not. And and Hannibal goes, oh, but you will. And it, it's the, it, mm -hmm. it's that moment where you you go back to that and you think to yourself, okay, there's the moment where we think Hannibal has first seen Will and where he becomes interested in him for the first time. I'm not sure that that's that moment though. I think that moment has happened long before the opening sh scenes of this sure. show. And Hannibal, Hannibal's design is, you know, he's he's already put work into this in terms of of starting the story rolling he's mm -hmm. he's the reason we're there and it's just okay i just got i creeped myself out so I'll, I'll stop. and to like and to go back to yeah yeah and to go back to the corpse mm -hmm. that we're talking about it's um i mean the the jesus symbolism mm -hmm. is pretty hard to miss Heavy. on that one but that also kind of took me back to the field kabuki scene because there was some Jesus symbolism in there as well. Mm -hmm. um, and we had talked, when that happened, we had talked about this like kind of sacrificial nature mm -hmm. to these victims. And that um, Cassie Boyle was sacrificed kind of for the benefit of Will to help him see who the Minnesota Shrike is versus who he isn't. Mm -hmm. And um, it's kind of the same with Marissa where it's maybe not for Will, mm -hmm. but I mean, it's still like, there's a, there's like, like, it, like you were saying, um, Justin about it being pragmatic. It's a sac, it was like a necessary sacrifice to put attention somewhere else on the copycat mm -hmm. and um yeah so I that's what struck me about the connection between those two Hannibal copycat kills mm -hmm. mm, good stuff good stuff good stuff <laughs> um you made a yummy noise 
<laughs> it's delicious. I, I mean, this show is like rewatching this show has, re- I've been bugging my wife trying to get her to watch it with me again. Like, come on, babe, give it a try. And she's like, fuck, you know. And um, well, on the enough. next episode, we're about to hear the time that Kelly Sue almost gave up on the show. Yes, so. we are. Yes, yes, we are. And, you know, she might have a fuck, you know, or two to lay down. In that. <laughs> you know what's coming. Yes. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Brian Fuller, you blew it. Um, (laughs) but uh so i think we all have the only thing we have left to do is as we do with every show is to make a recommendation you know and if you like hannibal and you liked potage this episode you might like something else that we have to recommend and this time that honor goes to the lovely claire and because she's the only one doing it she can't claire anyone I can't clear anyone unless this was the thing that Justin was going to talk about, you know, three episodes from now. Um, So this rewatch, this binging of Hannibal led me directly back into a binging rewatch of one of my other, and maybe I'm trying to decide if it is actually my favorite like crime procedural show. Um, And I think it is. Um, I, Almost immediately, I think the the as soon as I was done with the last episode of Hannibal, this go around jumped right back into a seven season rewatch of Elementary, which is just I just love Elementary, and it it's one of those rare cases where I it is a procedural show, and I don't always think every episode in procedurals, crime procedurals, are are riveting, right? Like it it. it I think it's one of the hardest writing jobs in all of of show, TV shows to to think up of a unique and interesting nod formulaic like crime that's happening when you have you know twenty episode seasons. Um, but the reason I love Elementary is partly the same reason why I love Hannibal so much because at its center is it is the story of two characters coming together and building a relationship. Now Hannibal and Will building a relationship is a very different thing from Sherlock and Watson building a relationship in elementary. (laughs) Um, It is and I think that's why I rewatch elementary so much is because it is such a positive healthy complex um, depiction of a uh, non-romantic relationship that is absolutely filled with intimacy and love. And there are a few characters in television and especially in crime procedurals like this, where you really feel like you're watching a family being created on the screen. And you, at the end of that show, you have no doubt whatsoever that these people are connected to each other permanently in a way that, that completely outstrips a lot of, of blood related, you know, relationships. Um, and it's also a, such a great look at um, mental health and recovery from addiction. And um, it, it, I love Benedict Cumberbatch and, uh, you know, the, the show Sherlock, I'm sure is a lot of people's, you know, thing. It, he, Johnny Lee Miller's Sherlock in elementary is my Sherlock. It's just, I can't, he's just, he's so great at it. Um, 
and it's also, you know, again, that opportunity to watch that thing that we watch will do where, you know, you see someone go into a crime scene and, you know, uh, Mensa their way through, you know, knowing so much more than everybody else does. It's just always really, really delightful. So um, I recommend the TV series Elementary. Excellent. And before we go, popsiclers, uh, where can we find each of you? Philip, where can we find you? Oh, I am all over the place, quite literally, um, at Philip Creates. Excellent. Claire? I am at Unexpected Hobby on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find my latest geeky cross-stitch design, which is the Eye of Sauron, um, a little Lord of the Rings love, um, in my uh, Etsy store, Unexpected Hobby. And my book, A Geek's Guide to Cross-Stitch Journeys in Space, is uh, locatable on the Fanbase Press website. Lisa K. Weber. Um, you can find me on all the social medias, but most frequently on the Instagram at lcatweber. Um, and you can find the fantastical comic that Kelly Sue and I make together, Hex 11, at hexcomics.com. And Kelly Sue. It is fantastical. And, and fantastic. So am I? on social media that's not true but you can find me uh at kelly sue says on instagram and twitter and also follow my single video on tiktok and i am justin peniston you can find a new page of my hard world fantasy webcomic hunter black every monday wednesday and friday at hunterblackcomics.com or on twitter at hunterblackcomx um we have been popsicle this has been murder husbands you can find us and our works, uh, both with the fan base weekly and individually. Uh, you can find us, uh, our work with the fan base weekly um, through the ring, our look at the expanse, or Dream Journal, our look at the comic series Sandman uh, on the fan base press website or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can find our MCU and Chill and Murder Husbands on Spotify. Uh, you can help us by subscribing, sharing, leaving us a nice comment. Follow us at Popsicle Pod. That's P-O-P-S-K-L-P-O-D on all your social media platforms. And until next time, do it to them before they do it to you. This has been a Popsicle Podcast production.